Hello and welcome to In Search of Tracks podcast. And tonight, tonight, we're going back to the 90s. Damn, look at you. My name is Pete. My name Hi, is Bob. Bob. My name is Bob. Hi, Pete. How are you? <laughs> I'm chilling, dude. Me this uh, this was a this was an interesting one to prepare for, and I'm not gonna lie yeah. to you. I only got a few listens of it because it's very long. Um, Pete. Uh, before we say the name of this record, do you want to guess how exactly how long this record is? Two hours and six minutes. The original CD version is 121 minutes and 39 seconds, so two hours and one minute. The original vinyl pressing is 128 minutes long. So, um, damn, just two hours. Two hours. Two hours. Pete, we were supposed to record this episode, I think, last week, and I was like, yo. I thought I could do it. I need to give this another listen because I, I listened to it three times. That's six hours. <laughs> Pete, yeah, man. Six hours of the Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. That is more Smashing Pumpkins than I've had in a very long time. But wait, if you want listeners and you want to go even further then we went you can very easily click on the melancholy and infinite sadness deluxe edition that is easily streamed on probably all of your services including spotify it is 92 songs it is 5 hours and 52 minutes who is asking for this <laughs> why why um pete Let's talk about our experience with the Smashing Pumpkins, <laughs> this record, why we chose it, et cetera, et cetera. So we chose it because it's a 90s staple, I think, and we've hit a lot <laughs> I of think those. so, too. We've I think hit so a lot too. of those 90s staples, and you know the people out there seem to like them, and I'm happy to revisit them, and it seems like you are, too. So we figured you know, we could do Siamese Dream, but let's just go for broke. Let's go big, and and by big I mean bloated. Um, Pete, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, band from Chicago. Um, uh, start in the late '80s, to my knowledge. Um, we're an alt band, sort of parallel to the grunge world, but we're never totally grunge. Um, partially, I mean, they were grunge, but not grunge at the same time. Yeah, uh, they wanted to, but they wanted to be big. Like, I think there's a whole Steve Albini thing about Billy Corgan being an asshole who just wanted to be a rock star. I mean, um, I would say more than a Steve Albini thing. That's yeah, yeah. I've, it's, I've it's, heard it's, much about that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a known thing. Um, whereas there was a lot of people in the '80s who were looking around and going, "Yo, let's let's do this cool underground alternative thing," and. Like we don't need to measure ourselves by the success of like st- stadiums, and um, you know the the overall was this dude's like nah fuck that I want to be Kiss, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a little bit I I mean I I even talk about that because I think it's a little bit informative to this record, um, 
there's a lot to this record that is great. And there's just an awful lot of it too to digest. Um, well, it's funny you say that because even Kiss never did the big double album. You know, when Kiss were trying to get crazy, they did like music from the Elder. <laughs> <laughs> Are we sure Kiss never did a double album? I don't think they. I'm did. just thinking of their best I'm, of double I'm, platinum. That's all. They, they yeah, just, yeah. They I were mean, about, the, they were about them sales, not them them doubles. They, I mean, the they live, were the about live efficiency. Exactly. The live albums are doubles. Double platinum is double. But like, I don't, I don't think they had a. I mean, maybe the nineties or later, really but like people need. Kiss yeah, but, but I think all need. the records are uh, single. Yeah, LPs. All the albums are all single LPs. You're right about that. Yeah, um, yeah I would rather Kiss Alive Two is seventy one minutes. I would rather listen to that twice. And I say this. Let me say this. <laughs> let me say this. I capital L loved this record when it came out. Okay. Um. I was a fan of Smashing Pumpkins prior to this. I liked Siamese Dream. Didn't love it, but mm-hmm. was was this might have been one of my first like bands who I thought were really good and cool, and maybe I would like their next record more. Um, in that weird way, you know what I mean? That like, ooh, what is this new? What what will this band do next? Kind of way. Uh, it came out in '95. I was I was 13 turning 14 in 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally waited for this record to come out, like call the record store style, like, oh, when is this coming out? So um, was there the day it came out and bought it, you know? Yep. Um, so so when we talked about doing this record, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Or I think we might even just talked about doing a Smashing Pumpkins record. And I was like, I think we got to do this one. And there's a lot to it. And so all this like belly aching you're hearing me do in a preamble is to say, I actually think this record is a great example of what the meaning of this podcast is in search of tracks. True. I think this record is loaded with tracks. You have to dig for many of them because this is a two-hour-long record. Hot take, Pete. This <laughs> record should have been three LPs. And even that, I think I might cut a handful of tracks. Interesting. So three LPs, you're thinking... Well, I mean, what was the original? Four? Well, like I mean, as vinyl LPs, I, yeah, I think it is four LPs, and also just oh, three, as a note, three separate LPs, three separate LPs. Got yeah, it. Okay. it is a um, it is a three LP set for the vinyl pressing. Okay, I got you. I got. There I is a way to listen to this if you search for like different playlists. The vinyl um, track listing is pretty cool, actually. I I, I kind of like. I prefer it to the CD issue. Okay, and and I sort of am curious about why the vinyl version is done so differently and i know there's it's like themed it's dawn slash tea time dusk slash twilight midnight slash starlight it almost makes me think that that was more conceptual and it if you listen to that i think that's the best version of this mm-hmm. and if you listen to it you start to go 
uh, uh, oh, okay. Like now I see there were like these songs that are all grouped together on this record that now this fits. So, so I kind of, to me, three LPs, three full records, and this record would be so much more digestible. These, these songs. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that like, it's a victim of 90s bloat, alternative mm-hmm. bloat. Why why are you doing that? Because we can energy, mm-hmm. you know, like this was a big deal record. I think it would cost like 30 bucks to buy the CD, you know, like Oh, for sure. Um uh just just looking at some, you know, Wikipedia level notes. It's the only album to top the Billboard 200. Um six singles off this record that kind of spanned over the course of 95 into 1996 uh, a diamond record which means sold more than 10 million units it just was a huge record huge huge um weird dark angry alternative but like alternative enough for the weird kid the freak kid at your school to 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 be into it you know yeah so i loved this record um and by the way it was the record that the freak kid could like but also like the jock kids liked it was it really crossed a lot of lines where were you at on smashing pumpkins and this record in the uh in the mid 90s so i feel a lot of what you're saying and i'm with some of it can't wait. Um, let's 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 disagree too. So come out. I uh, yeah. The goal here is different ratings. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but I uh, I had Sami's dream when it came out. I was very young. Um, I liked it a good amount, and then I found punk and liked that more. So I kind of left it in the dust a little bit. Although I'll say I went back and listened to that in preparation for this too. That record's over an, over an hour. So, yes, it is. So, so they they like long records, um, which I think is partially kind of a '90s bloat thing for sure. But I think it's also partially uh, Billy Corgan being somewhat of an egomaniac and thinking that all of his songs are worth putting out. Uh, yes. So that's that's a huge part of it, and that's maybe part of my disagreement. I mean, you just said yes, so maybe we don't disagree. But no, I don't but, disagree but, at all. But, I think there's '90s bloat. Yeah, but it's that's an enabling element. Yeah. to someone who's like, why would I not put out yeah, all yeah. 28 songs of this it, record as a double disc CD? It's clearly deserving. Yeah, for sure. So like, I actually remember. I think "Bullet with Butterfly Wings" was one of the first singles on this. Um. It was the first, yeah. It was the first, okay. It was the lead. It was the pre-album single, yeah, and uh, it was huge and pulled huge. me in for sure too. I because I remember seeing the music video and hearing that song a lot, and I really, really liked it. I was all in on it, and to the point where I had a similar experience as you, where I remember planning for when it was coming out and thinking to myself like this is going to be like $25, $30. Like, how am I going to save up $30? Yes. Like it was like a problem. <laughs> I remember being like a little stressed out about it. Um, somehow I must've found the $30 or found it used or something a little while later. I don't think I was there on opening day, but I got it eventually. And honestly, kind of just listened to the hits on it. I, I, I remember playing it front to back a few times, but 
it's it's not something I I kind of quickly found other records that I was more interested in, um, and this one didn't really stick with me like that. So I never loved it. Um, but that being said, I honestly don't think I had revisited this in God like twenty five years, maybe. Uh, it's been so- a long time. So I used that term, loved, capital L, but also with a D at the end. For sure. I did sit with this record fully. I really, really got into it and tried, and there were parts of it like, I was like, oh man, there's these songs on this record that nobody knows that are awesome. I can't believe this. Because I really do believe there are like some tracks on this record. Oh yeah. That that are that sing that are great, um, but that also meant like a certain level of sifting through and kind of getting down with it. Um, and I also you you actually we both kind of got into punk and hardcore at the same time, but I think you actually started discovering punk stuff more and like being more aware of certain elements of punk that I just kind of ignored. For example, like. I got Rancid Out, Come the Wolves, and uh, uh, Green Day, Dookie when they were out, but I never connect those to my like punk quote unquote journey. Those yeah. are more like just in the ether of like alternative music that's on MTV that's kind of cool, you know? Like definitely, I got I, those along with like the Woodstock '94 double disc CD, and never have I ever put those together with like. Oh, uh, yes. And then I was into punk music with that rancid CD, you know? Well, see, um, yeah. And it's funny for me, too, because I like I I had this weird thing where I was like six and my older cousin introduced me to the Dead Milkmen at the same yep. time that I got like the Ace of Bass tape, you know, and yeah, and was just tape. and was just into all of it at the same time. And then he showed me Pennywise, which I heard like before Green Day. So when I heard Green Day, I was like, oh, this is just kind of part of that thing. So I I didn't even think of Green Day as like radio rock, although it clearly was. Yeah. I yeah. kind of I kind of saw it as like part of this other thing. So yeah, it's yep. it's it's weird, but so I was um I, I thought about that today as listening to it um for my final go through was there's songs on this record where Smashing Pumpkins try to go like pretty discordant and like noisy and angry and aggressive. It comes off so played to my, <laughs> you know, uh, punk hardcore brain um, that it was like those songs are almost hard for me to stomach. Like I was like, this is this is so artificial and like bleh, like it feels false. You know, yeah, which yeah, is a weird yeah, yeah. feeling. Um, and it's interesting because I was into this record before I was into, you know, punk and hardcore music. And I never gravitated to those songs at that time either. Okay. So I, I have to give it a little bit of... Um, a little bit of thought in terms of how I feel about that stuff. And and uh you know both a pre and post version of of my brain to it see as um, strange as it is i actually remember hearing songs like like jelly belly like some of the more aggressive mm-hmm. heavier songs and feeling like at that time in my life it was like too aggressive for me oh sure no i mean 
I felt that way too. Jelly Belly, not so much, but there is certainly a lot of the song. I mean, what am I thinking of? Um, is it? Is it? Uh, Where boys fear to tread. Okay. Um, Tales of a Scorched Earth for sure. I'm, I'm like, yeah. um, <laughs> I felt that way and never, never recovered. Sure. Um, let me see. There are a lot of elements of influence here. I would call this an alternative record. Would you call this a grunge record? Um, I think alternative is the right name for it. Um, I, I always, I do, th- I'll, I'll say this though. I mean, I do think of them within that kind of grunge category. Yeah. But they're on the fringe to me. Yeah. They're a little different. They're, they're, they're there, but they sonically, they're playing with a few different elements. Um, on this record, I think, you know, I think Billy Corgan would have liked to have said, this is like, this is like a Pink Floyd record for this generation. He's not wrong. He did say that, right? He said yeah, he, said he wanted to be like the like Gen the X, wall. the wall. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not wrong, but I do hear Pink Floyd on this record. And I wouldn't say that. One, how many bands do you... Do you maybe because I'm not actively seeking out bands that are trying to sound like Pink Floyd. A band yeah. I like, but I think is quite singular. Um, actually, I guess there's some elements of Pink Floyd and certain Tool stuff, um, but sure. But, but I do hear it in an, in that kind of aping, like, hey, we want to uh, bring that to the forefront. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's a little bit of that kind of directly in some of the more spacey elements on this record, and and like spacey is a term that sometimes gets thrown around a bit too much, I believe, but it it's used in kind of different ways, right? Like. David Bowie's Spacey is different than Pink Floyd's Spacey, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the version of it here is a 90s alternative twist on some of the Pink Floyd takes. I, I, I want to I open it for you with some big comments, but I have a few other big thoughts that I'd like your opinion on. Sure. Um, how much does the length of this record hurt this record? I mean, I think it, I think it hurts it a lot as a, as a listen. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, let's because, talk about because, for the activity of listening to this. Whole yeah, record. I mean, because because it's it's a chore. It's straight up a chore. Yeah, um, correct. I mean, it's uh, it's not like, you know, in previous weeks we covered the Misfits and uh, you know the helicopters and all these things that kind of just breeze by and were really pleasant to listen to. This is not that experience. Yep. Um, yep. So. It's it's a chore in that respect. I do think though that, and uh, you know, we'll get into all the details. But I do think that this record sold super well, as you mentioned. I think people look still look back on it really, really fondly. Even if maybe mm-hmm. if they revisited it, they wouldn't think as fondly of it. Um, it had a huge impact on at the time, and I think I can't think of a double album since then that's really had that sort of impact so it and and at that point double albums are kind of like a dying art form at this point so maybe it was like the last of a dying breed in a way which is interesting oh oh, oh hold that thought for a second is this the last big alternative record 
It's not. The real answer is probably Foo Fighters color yeah, and shape. Yeah, it, it has to. It was yeah, was that? But that has to have been like really close to this. I think it's a couple. I think, seven. Yeah, this, so that, that puts this that almost two full years. Yeah, because in utero was ninety three. Yeah, color so and the shape like, is May ninety seven. So almost so year and a half, almost two years. I think that's the last alternative record that kind of matters. That sounds because right. it it got so amalgamated by like full on like that just became like big 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 mainstream rock not alternative rock station just rock station like yeah it's gonna play they're gonna play smash mouth and then that foo fighter song that everybody's aunt loves you know yep um this record has a little some jagged edges to it but some of the big singles got uh, pretty pretty big <laughs> You know, tonight Pretty tonight big. was uh was a for for a song that you know crucify the insincere like uh was a pretty pretty big song. A lot, a lot of moms were rocking it tonight tonight. You know, <laughs> um, but it, but this record did have some jagged edges to it. Um, it did, I mean, I think that's the difference between this and like a Foo Fighters is yep. Foo Fighters smooth the edges right off, and I like yep. you know I like those early Foo Fighters records a good amount, but like but yeah, this this had edge and i won't call it grit because it's still very produced and very slick but it's intentionally it's, so yep yeah yeah but it's it's i could see someone listening to this and then somehow managing to find you know heavier stuff uh heavier more aggressive stuff as like an intro and using smashing pumpkins as an intro whereas you know, like foo fighters is a little different i agree i agree strongly however a big difference between the smashing pumpkins and the next band down the line was that I think one, Smashing Pumpkins didn't try to wear their underground influences on their sleeve as much as their big rock influences. Sure. Like they weren't name checking the small bands, the, the world they came from, you know? Yeah. Uh, in, in my experience, it was sort of just like, like I didn't get into underground music from liking the Smashing Pumpkins. No. And I think that that is probably a lot of people's experience sonically you could see it they didn't point me to jesus lizard they didn't point me to like hey you should probably you know this band shellac they didn't point me yeah. to hey chicago melvin's, had this yeah yeah melvin's exactly like, like that whole I, this band I, I actually, the melvin's you know i what hear I mean? like a weird amount of like amphetamine reptile records like yes. like noise rock and yes. this actually clearly they like some of that stuff they don't point to it ever not once in in my knowledge if there's a smashing pumpkin head who wants to say, well, actually, he did some cool, <laughs> throw him my way. It wasn't he wasn't wearing it, it on his sleeve the way that Nirvana was, you know. Yo, exactly. Yeah. There were people who discovered like SSD hardcore. Yeah. Like, all that stuff. Goddamn yeah. fucking Eddie Vedder is writing Fugazi on his arm. Like yeah. Billy Corgan didn't even do that, you know? So what are we talking about here? Yeah. Um so it was more it felt very isolated in an odd way. But um but yeah um i'll i'll say that like i hear i also hear a lot of and i know that i think my bloody valentine loveless came out in 95 i think maybe 94 yep maybe 94 but like but i hear i hear them 
Smashing Pumpkins reacting to a lot of that shoegaze stuff that was mm, happening. 91, by the way. Yeah. Wow, fuck. I so always think it's later. Were. God no, definitely damn they it. Were. They were definitely reacting God, that record to was so ahead of his time. It continues yes. to blow my mind to this yep. day. But like, but uh, but they oh, were reacting to a lot so, of that stuff. So forward thinking in its sound and production qualities and just like, they were doing it's really insane. unique stuff. It, so- it sounds almost timeless. Loveless is timeless. It totally um, is, yeah. That said, you're not wrong. I feel <sighs> this record does feel responsive and reactionary to other versions of alternative. Yeah. And to grunge and to where the whole thing was going. And in the same way, like this feels like a big record. Like, like we usually reserve that for stuff like U2 or whatever, you know? But yeah. This feels like. 90s u2 because it's such a big record it's bloated it's produced to the nth you know um feels intentional in a lot of ways like it just was a really popular thing but that also was unavoidable if you were curious about music in the mid 90s and it's one of the questions is that, that I was thinking about and I said, is this the last alternative record that mattered? Is is this the record that killed alternative as a <laughs> larger genre? And I asked that because it's so bloated and so much to sift through that the casual who was looking for some hits and could go, yeah, give me 12 songs and four of them I know and there's this one other song I like but, you know, whatever and then there's, you know, maybe five or six skipper tracks to me. Yep. Who gets this double disc of 28 songs and doesn't quite know what to do with it. And it's like, well, there's six songs I really like. And then there's a lot of stuff I have to skip through. So this one just sits on the floor of the backseat of my, you know, Tercel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's kind of the energy I think of it. Um, because immediately following this, like as you move into the late nineties, all of a sudden you get like the weird uh, seven Mary three style butt rock and um, the pop leaning rock stylings of stuff like third eye blind or matchbox 20, mm-hmm. um, which are purely palatable, but not many teeth on them edges. I'll say that. Um, no. And then you get new metal, which Everybody wants to talk about how edgy corn is, sure, but put on Limp Biscuit. It's gloss. It's glossy as hell. Or boy band pop music, you know, like that's what came following this. Yep. There was no wake of Smashing Pumpkin wannabe bands from this record, despite the fact that it was gigantic. Big record. Where were the, where were the, uh, where were the peons? Where were the you know um, followers? Where were the you know could have beens? I I don't see it, you know. Yeah, I mean, this record can't exist at this point. You know, I mean, the amount of the amount of time that it take that that they were in the studio, the amount of songs that they recorded, the amount of just time and effort that was put into this, like no label would touch a thing like this at this point. Only for like like there's an energy to it that feels like a vanity project, right? A hundred percent. And that's a little bit of this. However, 
Got tracks. Tracks. For sure. Speaking of, why don't we get in the track by track? Because I think this can't be a 121 minute episode. So (laughs) (laughs) let's let's dive into the track by track. I know we're going to have some more conversation uh, about this record generally, but let's let's dive in the opening track. Melancholy. ballad intro it feels right i mean it's it's you know that you're getting a big thing here it's a double album it's interesting it's epic uh it's two plus minutes which to me is a little indulgent navel gazing given how long the whole thing is gonna be it's very pretty um but i I think it's you know it's clearly just an opener it's cool i like it cool works for the concept works for the whole energy could have been 20 seconds and it would have been just as effective (laughs) you give it a 35 seconds with the fade in to it boom oh we're off to the races uh first single tonight tonight not the first single but the first single that appears here uh is this the biggest song off this record I would imagine at this point it is, right? Um, what about 1979? Uh, yeah, maybe that. I know. I think it's, it's 1979. I think it's 1979. I yeah. I love this song. Um, uh, I think the line, crucify the insincere, damaged my brain in a severe way um, and fucked me up for years uh, because <laughs> I was like, yeah, fuck people who are insincere. And then someone told me, like, who are you to think you can just say whatever you want because you think you're being honest and true? It was like, Damn, it's really <laughs> um, It's this weird, epic kind of like. I mean, it's almost orchestral in the the structure of it. You know, it's just big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this one to me, this is a real like moment for them because it signals to you as a listener, like, oh, this is not Siamese dream. This is they kind yeah. of took this to the next level. Um, like Speaking it's big. Of, yeah. It's the fourth single that was released, which is crazy too, because crazy. They just, yeah. Which was, was it, was a uh, 1979, the biggest selling. Did I think it that? was, I haven't pulled it up yet. I'm pretty I'm, I'm sure, almost it was. sure it was. Yeah. I'm yeah. almost sure it was. Okay. 1979 was, I mean, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's a seamless transition from the opener. Um, it's, it's kind of like an instant classic um, if you're a fan of this band or not, because I feel like it's it's uh, not a song that hit me when it came out because I really liked Bullet with Butterfly Wings, and that's like a much harder song, yep, um, more aggressive song. But in time, I don't know. Like this is just one of those songs. Every time it comes on, I'm I'm totally cool with it. I'll listen to this song. Um, 
It's produced really well. It's yeah. I don't know. Great song. It's like no, it's a great song. It's like a defining '90s kind of. Yeah, there's, there's, there, I think there's two, maybe three defining '90s hits here. Yeah, um, we've mentioned all three of them already, and there might be people who would argue for a fourth potentially. But sure. tonight, tonight was this just big song, and they're it's grand in a way that you would never have imagined from the grunge alternative heavyweights before them. You yeah. know, that just it's it's so in a way, it's daring, it's bold. And there's this weird confidence in the way this record is. And I think Smashing Pumpkins as a band, which is attractive until it's not. <laughs> yeah. And and I feel it. I think this song is uh, is brilliant. So um, next track, Jelly Belly. So this, honestly, as I mentioned, was the moment in the record when I would listen to it as a record that as a kid was kind of off-putting to me. Um because it got so aggressive so mm-hmm. quickly. Yep. Um, and that is going to be a consistent theme that I'll try not to mention too many times, but they make it really obvious in this record where they jump from loud to soft, like yep. super heavy to, you know, super kind of mellow and like orchestral. Um, and I don't think that plays all that well, um, ultimately, but particularly from tonight tonight to jelly belly it's 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 a bit much it was a bit much for me as a kid now re-listening to it um it honestly it affects me differently where i feel like it 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 says more about the confidence that um billy corgan had in what he was doing yes where i feel like he's consistently trying to prove to his audience like like no i'm still like angry and aggressive but i can do all this other stuff too um and I don't think that that plays super well. But 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 that being said, I actually like this song just fine. Um, there's like kind of a catchy chorus. Um, yeah. I like how it goes from a heavy verse to kind of like the catchier chorus part. It's like a good alt kind of aggressive song. But oh yeah, I mean, and there's so some th- sick drum rolls too. But yeah, to me, this is yeah the rolling driving beat. It's great. Um, this is a banger. I, I think it's arguably better than some of the singles. Yeah, uh, it has teeth. It's chaotic and discordant, but it still has this like very distinct and strong melody. Mm-hmm. If you can't hang with Billy Corgan's vocals, you're out on this song. Period. For sure. Yeah, I find myself vacillating greatly <laughs> in terms of where I like this dude's vocals and where I don't, because I think he's really competent in a lot of ways. But when he gets more of a snarl, I'm not sure I love it. Um. So. Uh, this song I like a lot. I think it's one of the like non-single could have been a single. This is a track. You know, he wanted this to be the first single. It's interesting. I and don't the, know. The, the label turned him down. I think the label might have had better <laughs> judgment. Uh, Bullet with better <laughs> butterfly wings. Though I might like Jelly Belly better. But Bullet with butterfly wings is a. Uh, it's Almost hit. inarguable hit. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, next track. Zero. Okay. Uh, another hit. Big hit. Big single. I think I, I'm going to start with the vocals on this one because his they're right here are very confident and have that snarl. But this is where they hit spaces. I don't really vibe on. Yeah. I actually think the song overall has all the good and bad like 
elements. The riffs are cool. Songs just fine to me. Mm-hmm. But the vocals take me out, and it's like it's one hundred percent absolutely lower side of the record for me. Like in terms of whole thing. And let me say this: I think there's people who base their entire like aesthetic around the <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins zero energy, whether yeah. it's the zero shirt or the the single. Like people loved this song. Yeah. Not for me. Saw many, many zero shirts back then and oh. still sometimes around. Sometimes um, you see them now with a paunch and it makes me really sad. Like, oh no. <laughs> yep. What um, happened to what happened to your your uh cocaine chic aesthetic from nineteen ninety seven? Damn. Yeah, right. It is like a very it feels directly related to the kind of hair metal post glam feel just done differently yes um which i never rode with and yeah i i never rode with this song much either and and honestly on on this listen it's funny because i i can sing along to this song i know it i've heard it a million yep. times i just yep. and i don't even mind it that much but it's in terms of what i know they're capable of this is not great um and i i particularly billy corgan singing the, the the lyrics on this record really don't jive with me and they didn't at the time. And once I read, and I won't get into it too deep here, I'll, I, there's a quote I want to read from him later, actually, like regarding the lyrics and kind of the vibe of the record. But he's basically channeling like an angsty teen as a person that was like pushing 30 at the time. Mm. And to me... I just, I don't like that. I've never liked that energy. It's like, Oh no, <laughs> it's much more interesting to me. We talked about this on the blink One Eighty Two episode. It's yes. much more interesting to me for you to sing your age and what's going through your head at the time yes. and to yes. try to channel some like teenage energy. So look, yeah, I don't know. This not record has so much teenage energy. I later go on to say, look, like I say, this is someone who loved this record. I got it when I was 13. I think you might need to be like have special permission, like special clearance to listen to large sections of this record if you're under the age of 14 or over the age of 20 because yeah. this is a teenage aimed record. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. Can I just I'm not, do you mind if I just read this quote real quick right now? Please. Cuz it's, it's going to color a kind of what we're talking about I think as we go on. But basically uh, Chicago Tribune, Tribune inter- uh, interviewed him back then uh, when the record came out. And he said that it was a record that was written for people between the ages of 14 and 24. <laughs> um, be- be- because, quote, that's the age group that's really listening. It'll be totally misunderstood by the plus 30-year-old rock critics. I'm not writing it for them, even no. though I'm on the edge of losing my connection to youth, as is anyone enter- entering their late 20s. Yeah. And you've, and you've got a house, you get married, and the things that are important in your life begin to change. But I wanted to communicate from the edge of it and echo back to the generation that's coming to sum up all the things I felt as a youth, but was never able to voice articulately. I'm waving goodbye to me in the rearview mirror, tying a knot around my youth and putting it under the bed okay okay i'm yeah i'm, I'm largely good with that um yeah i'm largely good with that I, I i get it i think it's something anyone who is interested in music in a serious way 
should probably probably has asked themselves at some point like what am i doing like being this involved with a thing as i advance in age and have other important things in my life and blah 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 yeah um but i also think there's a relevance to saying look like there's a way to gracefully do this without without infantilizing your audience and infantilizing your thoughts like you're you you don't have to um you can place yourself in a different space and and write from that space but if i i think we're in a similar state of mind where we prefer people to actually like no, 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 like I, I don't want you to to write to the sixteen year old version of me from your sixteen year old perspective. Like, <laughs> how about like you're twenty eight and you're a guitar player? Like, why don't you talk about that shit? Like, well, where I mean, are you at? The, you know, that's the thing. I would like as a teen listening to this, I would much rather get kind of the the wisdom of a guy that's lived a decade longer than me. Yeah, on things. I mean, like, and and, and to be honest. I think the music for the most part is great. I mean, this guy has mm-hmm. like a wild ego about the whole thing, but he oh, like yeah. is clearly like provably a great songwriter. Yep. But this song has a lyric that says, I'm in love with my sadness. Like that's not even a good version. Even if no. you're gonna like try to be like writer writing from a teenage perspective, that's a shitty lyric. So like, this so, is probably a nadir on the lyric side of things. It's really not. It's, it's, it's not pretty good. bad. It's pretty yeah. bad. And there's other lines here and there that are hit you with a, a line of cringe, but I give artistic license to. This song as a whole is kind of rough. So. It's rough. All right. Moving on. Here's No Why. overtones to a fake small room sensibility yeah um pete i ask myself i literally wrote this <laughs> man dot 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 do i like his wine more than his snarl <laughs> and i came down to that I, somewhere in between um i like the song a pretty good amount okay how, how is it three minutes and 45 seconds and i still asked is this song too long <laughs> yeah i mean i I don't know. I came at it with a different energy. To me, it feels yeah. like it feels like mid late nineties era, like 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 post grunge, like better than Ezra feel oh, almost. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I don't, you know. Hey, catchy tunes, and like this is a catchy tune too. But like, and I like the chorus actually on this one. I really a like little the bit. chorus. Yeah. Um, 
but this one doesn't hit it for me. Like if I saw them on this tour, this is a bathroom song. <laughs> okay. Well, we're in different places on that one. Um, let's go to Bullet with Butterfly Wings. This is the first single, the big one. Not the biggest song, but like a huge aggressive yeah. coming out the door like song. Um, quick question. Do you think the record label deciding to go with this song as the first one was a little bit of, hey, that Rage Against the Machine thing is hitting pretty hard. Why don't we catch some of that energy? Because <laughs> this I song think- feels very singular on this record in terms of this overall sound. Sure. I, I, I think it was that for sure. But I also think it was, um, hey, if you like that kind of heavy, angry energy from the last Smashing Pumpkins record, this record still has some of that. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, um, I get that. I think it's it's trying to maintain the previous audience, but then like kind of bring them into the fold with the kind of mild change in sound of the record. An aggressive first single, really yeah. good song. Yeah, hard to say too much. Like, um, I think it's sort of a universal. Like, if you like Smashing Pumpkins, you probably like this song, right? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, I love this song as a kid. I still, I still like it a good amount. Although again, the lyrics are kind of cringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you could say it's, that. It's cool. <laughs> uh, the next song is, uh, to forgive. Um, a nice reprieve after mm-hmm. the heavy rock, of bullet with butterfly wings. Um, but this is where the record starts to feel for me. Like there's just this kind of constant up and down to the flow of it that I really don't like. It's a little bit jarring. Me neither. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do like this song. I mean, that's where I'd, I'd actually be curious to hear the vinyl. Um, yeah, we're, uh, we're going to have to go. We'll have to talk about that a bit because yeah. this falls on the vinyl listing. Um, this falls on the tea time side. So it goes jelly belly bodies, uh, to forgive. Here's no why poor Selena of the vast oceans. It's a really nice side. It's a, it, it works. The flow is better. The vinyl flow of this record is significantly better. Yeah. So there's, um, cause there's no, I mean, that's the, the problem. The CD is literally up, down, back, forth, up, down. It doesn't, it, it feels like a collection flow. of songs. Correct. It, it doesn't feel like an album. Correct. Um, or it just feels like a really, really insecure dude making the track listing and saying, like, I kind of constantly need to prove that I have an edge. Still. Yes. And that was like, as you continue on an album, listen for this record, it's, it's seasickness level. Like you go through and you're yeah. like, God, please stop with this. It's it's 100%. trying so hard, and you just get this feeling of going back and forth. I, I like that you identified that. Pete, I normally don't do this. I'm just going to read my notes for this song. Okay. Ah, shit, this song. Hits the chorus, <laughs> and once again, I'm a sucker. Pete, is this good? I really like this. It's overly dramatic. <laughs> Simple nursery school level melody, but very effective. Softness here plays in contrast with other tracks as opposed to in song back and forth. Could be a Paul McCartney solo album track from early 70s. Sure. I really like this song. I, I don't know if it's... It, it, so it's good and I like it. I like it too. But there's such a... like 
when you do this back and forth effect and it feels like just like a collection of songs, there begins to be an element to me when I'm listening as an album listen, like, yo, are you just showing off that you can write good songs as opposed to putting together like, like artistic expression? And it's a weird thing. And it's a weird thing to ask. And, and the, the correct answer is, uh, whatever the fuck you think, who cares? Buy my record, you know? Um, yeah. But I really like this track. So it's it's a track again on the sifting in search of tracks. Uh, this is this is a track. If you've never heard this song, I highly recommend it. Yeah, no, I actually really like super this catchy. one too. It's super catchy. The organs in the background are nice. Yes. I, I I think like it's it's. I mean, to your point, it's the guy's a great songwriter. He can write tracks. Um, great songwriter it's, it's, in this in this kind of like seventies way where he's experimenting with different. Um, uh, instrumentation and being daring about it with the confidence to to like yo by the way he's a great singer in the worst possible way like there's <laughs> moments where like it's the attainable good where you hear Billy Corgan go I can sing as well as this guy right like yeah uh, you know probably not but his voice is so distinct and unique and it's worst moments it's it's a little rough but uh you certainly feel it there. So yeah, I'm with you. All right. An ode to no one. Uh, back to the heavy. Yep. Um, this one feels, this one has like more of like a seventies heavy rock riff, just like sped up a bit, a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's good energy to it. There's cool drum flourishes all over on this one. Um, it's a bit like herky jerky for me. Um, between like the snare roll kind of part of the song and the groove part of the song. Yes. Um, it's, it's not one of the high points of the record. Um, I like some of the instrumentation, but it's like as a song, I don't, I don't really love this one. It's also, it also goes on for way too long. Yes. Um, it's driving, it's pulsing. There's some of it that I like, except that it's a smashing pumpkin song. Mm-hmm. I'd like something that's actually gritty on top of this. This yeah. is fake gritty. And by the end of it, it devolves into me like almost pure eye rolling. So <laughs> this is bloated all. This is, you know, the song's fuck you and ode to no one. Um, this is from the uh, great title, by the way, yeah, mid side five midnight where uh, which is where boys fear to tread zero. Fuck you and ode to no one love and X, Y, U, a.k.a five tracks on this record that I could just cut, you know? Oh, so, that's the side on the vinyl. That's yep. interesting. Yeah. The, the vinyl stuff is very interesting. If you've never looked into it, please do. And it's actually a kind of fun way to listen to the record. It's a, as I keep repeating, God, there um, has to be, I, I'm sure there are so many super cuts of this record from super fans that I'd be so interested in hearing because there, there can't be that many people that are like, no, this is the perfect version of this record. <laughs> you know yeah yeah 100 percent. um love next track uh this one feels like a heavier version of the cars to me Oh, interesting oh wow yeah <laughs> so it's like a chunkier track it's 100 trying to be a change up yeah uh it's fine i kind of want to listen to it again now that you've said it's a cars song too that's interesting it's like it, it's like a heavier new wave song like i yeah, actually i thought okay. this was a nice change of pace i like this song um, but, um, 
again, it's too, a little too long, but I liked it. This is the point in the record where I go, why wasn't this two or three records? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. All right, uh, Cupid de Locke. This oh, would, it, it's yeah, less on. a song, more a vibe. It's sure. cool. Like I, I like it. Um, it's weird in that kind of fairy pixie music kind of way. Not the band, the Pixies, but you could take it that way if you want. Um, this is the song that if you were a jerk, you could go cool laying in the grass music weirdo. And I thought about <laughs> that'd be a great thing to yell at Billy Corgan uh, while he's playing the song. <laughs> Someone can steal that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I actually, uh, I agree with you. I mean, I said my notes, it's a nice song overall, but it just kind of floats by. Um, I really like the harp in it. I, le- I really like the production on it, the layering. I mean, the production on this whole record is great, but when he gets really heavy in the instrumentation, I think it's always done really well and carefully. Um, That's true. It sounds great. It's just, yeah, it's 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 a vibe track. Galapagos. I do like how they keep the 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 mellow vibe going here. Like for once on this fucking first CD, it's finally, not up and down. Finally, we have a, yeah. a reprieve from the back and forth. Um, my comment here was, "God, this is moody teen music," but I do love this song. Um, I love this one too, actually. Yeah, I really think this is a strong track. Uh, I remember this as one of my highlights back then. It's still it still held on, which made me happy because there was a couple that didn't age as well. This one did. Um, you're right. You finally get a flow. Cupid the lock flows into this one pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a good song. It's the softer side, you know, like we're, we're kind of moving around it. And this is the song where I said this should have, you, you got to get special clearance to listen to this. Um, no, it's a good song for sure. One of the highlights of this disc, I guess. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, just so people know, at this point, you're about um, 45, eh, 48 minutes in by this song. Oh, man. Not halfway. Um, muzzle. <laughs> um, I actually think the transition here is fine as an album, um, but this is more of like a big room rock song. Yep. Um. Well, I think this is very much peak smash, Smashing Pumpkin sound, which okay. is them being big rock. Um, yeah, I could see that. It's sure. like very in the pocket of what they do best, uh, which I would describe. Let me think. Um, 
confident weirdo alt that's a touch too pretentious <laughs> for its own good, but it is still undeniably good. Yep. Jock alt is also how I'd put it. It's like, look, there's a thing about jocks that, that some people know and some people don't, but do know intrinsically. A lot of times jocks are really good at one or two things. Maybe it's shooting a basketball, scoring a touchdown, hitting a home run. They might suck at everything else in their life and they might be jerks. They might not even be a nice person, but they know they can hit a home run. And that's what you get with Smashing Pumpkins. Like, like, <laughs> yo, these guys, I don't even know if they'd be nice to hang out with, let alone cool, but they can write some tracks and Muzzle is a track also. This is another, like, this is a track. I don't know that I'll go the distance with you on that one. Okay. It's for I'm me, it's a cool, to... it's, it's a cool song, but it like, it really doesn't hit me one way or the other. I think maybe I, uh, maybe I was too fatigued at this point, but well, that's, that starts yeah. to be a problem on this record is there is fatigue. Um, so let's do the next track. Porcelina of the vast oceans. And this is another, I think, in the pocket Smashing Pumpkins song, but they pull in some of the Pink Floyd very directly. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pulling weird spacey elements that not many of their mid-90s contemporaries were, but this song specifically is trying is like, a, hey, hey, let's try to write one of our songs that could fit on you know uh, uh, the wall or could be played after Comfortably Numb. Like, okay, okay, this is, this is it. Yeah. It's good. Whatever. Yeah, there's like there's some really cool parts to this. I think some of it feels a bit half baked. Oh, okay. Like like I actually think that I mean, look, it, this song is also nine and a half minutes long. It's really long. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's half baked because they didn't get to a full concept on this one. Well, that's the thing. Like what I was gonna say is I actually there's like some like Robert Fripp did some guitar work that ultimately ended up be, being called Frippertronics, which is like kind of just his like weirdo guitar picking thing that he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear a little bit of that in here. I hear a little bit of like progginess in here. And I think that had they really concentrated and said, Hey, let's do a King Crimson style record. I actually think they could have done it really well, but oh, yeah. as, as just kind of a, like a, a, an experimental portion of this larger bloated thing. I don't think it works all that well. Although again, there's like, there's like a mid part to this that I really like. Um, but some of it just, it, it just feels like it should have stayed in the oven a little longer or been like just more of a concentrated effort as like a part of a singular record. You know, this yeah. is like the third LP and what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, correct, correct. Pete, this is the song I'm literally most curious about on this record, how you feel about (laughs) it. Um, The song is Take Me Down.
Um, I don't love this song. Um, I don't. I either. I love closers, but mm-hmm. the fact that I know that this is just the closer to the first disc uh, is tough. I. I like the fact that James E. This is James E. This is song. a James E. song, yes. Um, so I like that they switch it up a little bit. Um, and teaser, I I like the closer that James E. did on the second disc a lot more than this. Agree. Um, the lyrics on this are a little cheesy. I just, it's 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 just a bit much for me. This is a song off the Muppets movie. That's yeah. what this song should be. I'm just putting it out there. I didn't come to that initially, and then listened to it for like the third time. I'm like, I'm picturing Kermit the Frog singing this. It's not a commentary on James E. Ha's voice. His voice is fine, but the lyrical content is a whole lot of like, "You gotta help your friends. You gotta be a good friend and be a helpful friend." And it sucks. It fucking sucks. And this song sucks. Oh, I love that. Um, it sucks. It's fucking sucks. And uh, it bums me out because I don't like singular voice. Like the rest of this thing really feels like no, Billy Corgan right. essentially flexing, you know? I held you once, a love that once and life had just begun. And you're all I see. And trumps it, trumpets blew and angels flew on the other side. And you're all I see and you're all need. There's a love that God puts in your heart. Yeah, man. <laughs> There's a sun, it'll come. The sun, hear them call me down. Yeah, it's not Fucking good. Kermit the Frog, bro. What are we doing? Uh, it's, 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 I'll say it's better than some of Billy Corgan's lyrics on this record, though. No question. <laughs> but it's better in a, it's, it's, it's worse in a different way in that I couldn't picture a Muppet singing some yeah, of it's, Billy Corgan's stuff. It's not good. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. Um, Pete, we're not halfway done with the record. Let's pick up Let's the pace a little keep bit. Keep it going. We have 63 minutes left. Uh, where boys fear to tread start of disc two good fucking god (laughs) um it's like another attempt at aggressive stuff and it's not bad there's some memorable parts to the song but i don't love it i like the song okay i like i like how it starts the b-side i i like how it has kind of a this is where the the b-side starts like the the, god the yeah the the second disc d-side yeah um it starts the second disc correct but i i feel like they're doing like a like noise rock thing where it kind of starts with kind of this herky jerky, like the instruments are kind of doing different things. But to your point, it, it, it is like, it's the smoothed out version of that. Yeah. We can call um, it a poser version. Yeah. Poser version. Um, but it has like a stoner rock feel overall. I'm, I'm in, I like this song. Yeah. I'm out. Um, bodies. bodies. Uh, I really like this one too. I'm a sucker for like- this one. Yeah, I, there's great movement on it. Um, it keeps texture the track. Super, yeah, texture. Yeah, exactly. Super thick guitars, um, but it just picks up the energy a bit. The really intense chorus. Um, yes, the chorus works really, really it's well. Good. Yeah. It's good. It's a great song. All right, so uh, on this song, there's so much interplay. We talk about soft and loud. This one is different to me. It's gentle and coarse. So soft and loud are something that we get on this record. But this is much more gentle than coarse, and those are different things to me. Soft and loud is one thing. Gentle and coarse is a different, and they play with that on this song, and I think that's actually really cool. And that's something I want to talk about more on a future episode Okay, um, is these different variations of interplay and how that works and how it kind of shapes your listening experience, but um, really works on this 
this is like a very memorable deep cut on this record. So I'm with you. Next, Next song. one, 33. This was a single. I didn't know this was a single. I didn't either. Low key, great. Great song. Um, I think they chase the dragon for this sound specifically a lot, but they nail it right here. Yep. Yeah, cool atmospherics, cool percussion, uh, dramatic. It's a dramatic yes, kind of up and yes. down from the last track, but it's it's great. Yes. All right, next track, uh, In the Arms of Sleep. to really grab me i mean i feel like they're they can be really good at like the acoustic based like unplugged kind of sound Mm -hmm. but they kind of lose it with this one it's not a strong version of that i a different space uh it's kind of off kilter but it's a grower not a shower for me i like the refrain lyrically i really dug this song um i think it was weird 13 year old behavior very proto sad boy music uh, if you like <laughs> '90s emo and like very sad boy nonsense, uh, this song is in your lane. All right, 1979. I really song. like the song. Really like it. Always liked it. Still like it now. Um, big single. Love the um, the percussion at the beginning that kind of continues throughout. Is it feels like a loop, you know? Um, and when the guitar kicks in, it really does kick in. Um, mm-hmm. I think Corgan's vocals here are really affecting. It's kind of this somewhere between a gentle singing and a talky sing. Yeah. Works really well, kind of a sweet spot. Um, and that's an overall theme I find on this record is the gentler stuff feels like it's where their heart was. And the there's touches of the more aggressive stuff where i think they nail it and then some where i think it's like way off base but this song uh total sweet spot on this record and i think if you have one song from this record it's probably this one i think i agree i mean this is like if you had one smashing pumpkin song this might be it like this i feel like just kind of defines this band in a lot of ways almost um, yeah it's it's this or i mean today today yeah i I mean the songs but but i mean the funny thing is like i feel like so much bigger both yeah but both of them kind of have a similar feel almost yep um i think today off siamese dreams today was their hit and i think they unambiguously and kind of unabashedly 
uh, when I say chase the dragon, I think they were chasing the dragon on a lot of these songs for that. <laughs> and they nailed it with 79. They nailed it. Yeah. Uh, if you, it was their biggest song, biggest single they ever had. And, um, and if you look at streaming numbers, uh, triple the streams of today. Got it. Triple. Where does disarm fall in all that? Jesus. Um, that might be one of my favorites. Not, not in the mix. Not even close. Yeah, <laughs> no, there we go. No, cool. sir. Um, um, that was a single though. Um, it was, you're right. Tales of Scorched Earth. So this... Two uh, on the nose, guys. Two on the nose. Yeah, it's it's Corgan being insecure. Again, let's, yeah, like let's just, write like a gnarly, harsh song. Fuck yeah. It's like, it almost feels like groove metal, like yeah. 90s groove metal vibe, <laughs> but like with more of a pop sensibility. Dude, uh, yeah, there's, there's elements of the song that are actually cool buried yeah. under those layers of insecurity. Um Overall, it's just blab because it's leading with that whack energy. <laughs> whack energy, like for it's sure. like it's like saying like, "Hey, let me write this song, and I know all these elements, and I can put it together in an interesting way." But like, it's clearly not where my heart's at, or what like the actual energy of this record is. Yeah, I just don't like the song. Uh, but that said, someone could steal seventy percent of it and write a fucking killer song. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um. Through the Eyes of Ruby. Uh, to me, this is another hidden gem. Uh, I really like it. Big guitar, but kind of not at the same time. Again, we're playing with those ideas of of big riffs done quietly sometimes. Uh-huh. I think this is a great track, but again, I'm you're suffering severe fatigue if you're trying to do an album listen. Um, to me, this is definition of an in search of track. Interesting. Yep. All right. Really like it. So I feel almost the same way about this that I do Porcelain of the Vast Oceans. Okay. Yep. Um, in that it's an eight minute long song. I, I feel like yeah, they even they, the they, they toy around with the proggy elements of it even more on this one. Yep. Um, I f- like the beginning starts out strong for me. It feels like they're doing something different. And then it kind of just kicks into like this fuzzed out guitar part, which is kind of so similar to what you've heard so many times on this record already that it's not as compelling. That's that's the part you have to isolate on some of these songs. Yeah, and it's like, so like hard. If, that's exactly it. Like I feel like they could do a cool like prog proggy alt rock record if they really put their mind to it. But as just kind of a part of the record, as part of a double two hour long record, it's just, it's a, it doesn't, I like parts of it, but I don't love the song as a song. So yeah. Uh, Stumbling. Mayfair mistress of the satellites. Miss Bay youth faking up and Uh, 
acoustic bass track. Yep. Um, it's it's a simple but effective song. I actually really like this one a lot. <laughs> same same note. Simple but effective. Uh, I like the chorus. It's soft and pretty. Again, buried. Yeah. X Y U. Nobody's looking that song. Nobody's out, looking that really hard. Good. No, you have to you put that on our our Smashing Pumpkins, uh, melancholy for the uh, um, ADD generation. X Y U. Another noisy, heavier track um, that feels half baked to me at seven minutes. Um, Try hard discordant music. Uh, there's like a, a pandering to a bad idea. The texture yeah, the difference between this and the prior song feels so forced. Yeah. Uh, we only come there's out. There's no at, meat on this bone. No, no meat on that bone. We only come out at night. I have no place for this song. Nope. Feels like the weird song closer. Like when uh, like uh, we did Stone Temple Pilots and it was like. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is the album. Yeah. No, this, no, no, this, no. I, I actually wrote like, are they trying to write a beat happening song? Like this, it sounds like. What are they doing on this? I one? hate the chorus. Um, the verses, the cadence in the verses is uh, cool enough. Um, it's bubble music. This is the musical equivalent of the first of several endings that happen in the Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> like if you watch the oh, last, of, yeah, you, you watch Return of the King. Um, it ends like five times. There's like a famous Elijah Wood interview. Where he's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was at a Lakers game or he was somewhere and Jack Nicholson of all people comes up and is like, hey, kid. Yeah, I really like that movie. Why did it end five times? I kept get, being like, oh, that's it. And getting up, like going to get up and it wasn't over. Uh, that's that's <laughs> what this song feels like. Yeah. Uh, Pete, the next song is beautiful. I'm going to be quiet and ask you, can you explain what the fuck is going on with this song? <laughs> this is just like another half-baked track where they're like, hey, let's." it's going to start out as like a dance track, but then it's going to move into, you know, something else, and then it's going to move into something else from there. I, it's just... I'm not even giving it half-baked. Pete, I saw an Instagram video of a guy who's like, check this out. I took five Oreos, put them in a mug, smashed them up, <laughs> then put milk in, then put another Oreo in, then put a spoon of flour and a spoon of baking soda in, and and then put it in the microwave. It's awesome. That's the equivalent of this song. It's like, wait, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Oh, see, I'll say this. On my third listen, I actually, I was kind of riding for certain parts of the song. So, um, again, another one that I'll, I'll take pieces of it, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to this song. I like Oreos. Uh, Lily, my <laughs> one and only. My memory they completely this, me on this. My memory was I remembered liking this song like back then. Yeah. No charm to it now. No. At you this can't, point. You can't do this to someone at two hours in. No. Uh, no. I, I, at this point, I'm just wondering when the record will mercifully end. Just like, right. please stop. Agreed. Uh, by Starlight. This is this um, song, by the way. I kind of like it. It drags for a beat in the middle. The chorus is fun enough, but it's weirdly kind of a vocal vehicle for yeah. eh vocals. Yeah. I just wrote hard pass on this. Farewell and good night. Be careful not to let the bed burn. 
So, like we mentioned, it's another Yeehaw closing track, um, but Corgan, they, they kind of trade off vocals. I think every member of the band sings on this. Yes. Um, this one, there were many songs that felt like closers. This one feels like it has to, like if this were not the closer, I feel like every human would just shut the thing off and like frustrate, like walk outside super pissed about their experience with the record. Um, yes. I do actually think this is like a nice conclusion to it. It's super bloated. It's super kind of uh, navel gazing, and like, it's it's like it's a total vanity project. But like, yes. the fact that they've all they all sing on it, it feels like the band kind of comes together. Yeah, and it's like a nice send off. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I think I only like it for that reason because at the same time, it kind of feels like a '60s folk song for the 90s a la yeah. like crosby stills and nash and young um which like i don't like that vibe <laughs> like the fade out with the piano is yeah. nice and it puts a bow on the whole thing but like it's if this song were like anywhere else on any other smashing pumpkins record it would just be a waste of time so you know? so yes i agreed i will say this i think you were fair to this by saying it's a little bit navel gazing there's a step beyond navel gazing, which is what <laughs> I want you to picture. Everybody close your eyes and picture a man or woman or a person with a larger, larger belly. I've, you know, I'm, I'm doing it on my own right now. And there's looking at your belly button, but then there's tapping on your stomach. That is the step beyond it. They don't quite get there. They're not tapping on the sides of their belly, but they're thinking about it. That's how <laughs> wild this record is. It's like, like, unbuttoning the button your your pants after you eat dinner at thanksgiving it's like yo come on what are we doing we've given up on all formality what are we doing jesus um it's a good closer it should have come one hour earlier <laughs> for sure <sighs> pete we survived we, we did made it. it to the end of melancholy and we're an hour and 11 minutes in let us um get to our ratings and close this out before an hour and 20 minutes of talk about this hour and 20 minutes. Uh, oh, two hours. Jeez, it's two hours. We could go for another 50 minutes and still be fine. Uh, but let's close <laughs> this up. We let's talked see. longer about sex pistols somehow. Yeah, Jesus. Um, holistic quality of this record. Overall good out of 20. I'm going to give it an eight. Wow. I give it a 13. Okay. After talking about it, and listening to it three times over the course of the last couple of weeks, I could go lower. Highs. How about the highs of this record? Pete, I give it a nine. The highs of this record are really, really good. I gave it a seven. I really like the highs, but they're not a band that I've gone back to over the years, mm. and I don't know that I will. Um, not a bad but, point. But, but I agree with you. I mean, there are definitely highs here. But, you know, here's the problem. The enormity and weight of this album I, I typically let me explain this and i think you're in the same boat i typically like to listen if i'm intentionally putting on music i want to listen to the album you know i yeah. want to i like to put on an album listen same i think that's impossible to do with this record i think it has the most of their good songs but it's so it's like saying 
oh, I love steak. Give me a steak. And someone puts a cow on your table. <laughs> what do you do with that? You know? Um, I'm still keeping I mean, this, it at a nine. Is... I think the highs just on an objective level, if you strip away all the, the excess, the highs are really high. This is Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 as just one album. It's like Use unnecessary. Your illusion 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and maybe 5. And 3 and 4, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and the spaghetti incident. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Uh, the lows. Uh, I'm going to give it a 2. I, this gets pretty low for me. Okay. I'm going to give it a 3. It's pretty low for yeah. me. Um, competency and peer review. I gave it a 7. I think it's competent. There's some parts throughout where I, I make some question to like, man, I know this dude's a very talented drummer. Why is he just doing this beat here? Like, this is boring and the song feels stagnant as is. Please yeah. flare it up. Um, and compared to their peers, like their highs are they're clearly can we talk about their songwriting flexing. Um, I think it's all over there, but you have to take into con- you have to take into the equation the length and how much it just there's too much it's, it's too much it's too much yeah i mean they're a hyper competent band corgan is a hyper competent songwriter um i would argue that he's a much better songwriter actually than a lot of the bigger bands in the 90s uh, that were you know kind of similar grunge alt bands um but that being said, I, I feel like part of being a good songwriter, artist, musician is like being able to cut the fat and some self out, editing is important. Yeah, put out a kind of coherent product, and this is not that. So um, I give it a six. Drag factor, Pete. I initially gave it a four. Okay, <laughs> it might That's be generous. It might be right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to downgrade it to a three because I was, I was getting angry as we talked about the oh, I mean, time I spent on this record. I got to go for broke here. Can I give it a zero or we oh, go? Is, wow. is, is, you is can one... give it a zero. You can give it a zero. Boom. Done. Wow. Okay. I mean, I, I, I just, there's no excuse for this. I mean, it's just like, I think that you can have a double album, but, had they spent like two more years on this, you know, which I know is incredibly aggressive, Yeah. but like if you really want it to be a double album that holds up as a double album, you like, I don't know. It's uh, it's this, it drags, man. What can I say? It really drags. Yeah. So I feel I'm you. not giving it any I points. You. I feel you. Um, flow. Now, we want to put in a, an asterisk. The vinyl version has a much different flow. If you get a chance, go listen to that. I'm pretty sure that 95% of the people who've experienced this record experienced it as a double-disc CD or in the streaming format, which follows that exact same yeah. listing. I'm giving it a four because there's a couple moments that I enjoy in terms of flow, but overall... It's it's like almost impenetrable flow. Like I, I maybe am being too generous here. Like, all right, no, I'm changing it because because I, <laughs> can, you know what? It's getting a two from me because they consciously did a different um, album flow on the vinyl, which, as noted, 
maybe one out of every 20 people, wait, it's way less than that, um, heard it in this version. The the version that's out there is a two in the flow. It's really not good. I gave it a two um, for that, but also just because it's it's frustrating to me that you would do a different version on the vinyl, which particularly right. in 1995, nobody was hearing. That's right. Dude, that's the thing. You consciously had an idea for the flow and reserved that for a very, very slim margin of your audience. Yeah. Man. Um, aesthetic. Look and feel of the record. Um, I actually like the artwork a lot. I feel like it's kind of iconic. Yep. at this point um, i love the art i love the art for this record it's it a, really it's an fits eight for it yeah yeah i give it a seven cool um impact and influence um it's a tough question for this record yeah i Do don't you know, know i mean I, I sound like smashing pumpkins i mean i don't really but i i i feel like a lot of people I don't know. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> We're delirious I'm not sure, like, at this like, point. Like, like I, yeah, I mean, I am kind of delirious, but I, but I think about like, like bands like Deaf Heaven or something, um, who are taking from like shoegaze, but like also like black metal. Yeah, I, I feel like there's also kind of like this alty kind of feel to that, and like like kind of dramatic flair to that that maybe is influenced by smashing pumpkins like i feel like i see in like like just hints of smashing pumpkins here and there but at the same time i i, I don't know that i've heard anyone like name drop them no. so i yeah i don't know it's interesting i'm torn <sighs> on this one i gave it i'm gonna s- give uh, oh go ahead i give it a six because i think there is a little bit of the i think music's different now and i don't think I can give it full credit to Smashing Pumpkins. And maybe it's demerits by some people's estimation. But they were really daring and bold with this in terms of some of the decisions they made. I think it led to a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. So it certainly is impactful. Yeah, It was super popular. But I can't give it more than a six because I can't think of any bands of the past going on 30 years who would cite Smashing Pumpkins as a direct influence. Now, there's bands who are on the shoegaze tip that probably owe more to them than they're willing to acknowledge mm-hmm. or, or publicly note. So there's an element where Smashing Pumpkins are kind of singular in this like weird space where they were too big, popular, and cool to be cited as a, a name check kind of influence. But at the same time, they certainly have some. So it's a six to me. All right, I thought of one. The Silver Sun pickups are the only band that I've ever heard oh. that sound exactly like them and also and also name drop them. Wow. I, there's um, some moments with that. I, I can't say I think they sound exactly <laughs> like them. There's a couple elements. Man, now you're going to make me go listen to Silver Sun pickups for the first time in <laughs> many years. A Jesus Christ. Years. Yeah. Um, I give it a five. Intangible, etc. Pete, had a warm feeling for this record uh, 28 years ago, 27 years ago, something like that. Um, the hits still hit. I don't revisit. 
I almost feel like I could make myself a playlist that is, man, 10, maybe 12 songs mm-hmm. that I would really, really enjoy. Um, so I'm going to be generous and give it a seven. I am more or less on the same tip. Like, I think that there's a version of this that I might actually listen to a good amount. Um, but I'm certainly not listening to this version of it a good amount. But at the same time, this is what one of the best selling double albums of all time. And even at the time, it was really wild that it sold as much as it did, given the kind of high price point that we were talking about. So there's something about this record that's really special. I do think you brought up a good point with just how, how, um, Corgan really went for it, you know, with what he was doing here. It may have been misdirected. It may have been, you know, uh, a little bit bloated and a little bit egotistical, but something about it works in some way. Um, so I'm going to give it a seven too. Pete, I'm excited to hear your cumulative score. Mine came in so much lower. If you had asked me before we did this, I'd been like, man, maybe I might end up somewhere around 70, maybe around seven, maybe as much as 75. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. It's a 58. I gave it a 44. I think that tracks though. Yeah. And honestly, that's lower than I would have imagined. But I know. Um, well, because I'm okay with it. It's, it's, we are partially judging this on the album listen uh and that's how we listen to this and it's not a great album listen it feels like a collection of songs and uh i will say uh, harping on the vinyl version difference it feels like there was so much more thought and care put into that where i'd say yeah like this side five 23 minutes of stuff that i largely have no time for you cut that and then you cut a piece here, a piece there. And all of a sudden there's like two records worth of material that I'm really in favor of. Yeah. So, um, really, really interesting. Um, (sighs) at the very least a nice experiment. It was fun. It was fun. Um, kind of fun, kind of fun. It was not fun. Um, (laughs) given the, uh, given your feelings on it, do you have this CD? Do you have the record? I have not had the CD for some time. I don't own the vinyl version. Given Um, your affinity for the vinyl, are you going to, uh, are you thinking about it? Would you consider it? Consider adding it to my collection. Pete right now? No. (laughs) What about you? Do you own this? You don't own this. I don't own this. No, you I, don't think it to I'll, I don't think I'll be adding it. No, no. And this is, this is probably the lowest rated record, Pete, where there was 10 plus songs that you said, yeah, this is a great song. Yeah. And still, it's what happens when you write a two hour long record, folks. Whew. I like a lot of songs on this record. And uh, there's, there's a version of this record that gets, in the 70s or 80s for me, I, I would imagine. I, I think at least into the 70s. I don't know that it clips into the 80s. There's probably a best case scenario where maybe it does, but boy. Yeah, maybe I'm being generous. This I don't version know. does not. Pete, where can people follow us on social media? At TraxPod on Instagram and Twitter. And where can they send those excellent emails? TraxPod at gmail.com. And I know that you all, because we've actually had a lot of people request this record. Um, so... There's probably a lot of you that have 
really strong feelings on what you've just heard. So mm. please let us know about it because uh, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, process. Read it on our next mailbag. Sit with it. And even more so, do the whole listen, track one to the end. And let me know if you're able to do it in a single sitting or if you have to break it up. It's If you break it up, you cheated and your opinion <laughs> is invalid. I'm just I'm saying that right now. Five-star reviews. We love you all. Goodbye.